What's happening, everybody? Welcome into your Friday edition of the Final Whistle Sports Podcast. And another day, another episode, another guest. Today, I have Gary Phillips. He writes for SI.com for the New York Yankees, as well as the Jets Wire, giving you a little bit of New York Jets coverage. If you really don't know anything about me, Gary was actually my former boss <laughs> back in undergrad uh, at the Setonian newspaper where he was the editor-in-chief and I was one of his sports writers. Gary, how are we doing? Doing good. Doing good. It feels like that was way too long ago, a lot longer than it actually was. No doubt. Are, are you ready to, ready to get talk some sports? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right, Gary, before we get started, I want you to give a little bit of your backstory, what what drew you into sports journalism, what you've been working on. I know you've been doing some great pieces. You've actually had a couple pieces picked up by the New York Times recently. So why don't you just dive in a little bit about yourself? What drew you into sports journalism? Well, I knew I wanted to be involved in sports, you know, as early as as high school. I knew that's where I wanted my career to be. Wasn't very good at math. Once we started getting away from like animals, nature, biology, I wasn't so good at science. So that kind of restricted me as far as what I could do in the sports world. Certainly wasn't going to play. Um, I was always a pretty good writer in high school. I never minded like essay assignments or book reports or anything like that. And uh, it, it just seemed like a logical conclusion to go into writing, go into media. And, you know, I went into it in college thinking I just wanted to be in sports and at Seton Hall doing the Setonian, like you said, I really just fell in love with the reporting aspect of it, the storytelling aspect of it. So better or worse, that's what I've been doing ever since. And then for you, how has, for sports journalism, it's not the nine to five type of job. It's us. We're sometimes up at 3 a.m. writing a story that we didn't think we would be breaking at 3 a.m. That, that night or that morning. For you, how do you try to balance your everyday life with that 24-hour schedule? Well, lately I've been doing a lot of freelancing. So the one good thing about that is it's a lot of on my schedule at my own convenience, my own leisure. Um, there's definitely an aspect of having to give yourself a little extra kick in the butt when it comes to being productive, finding a routine every day that works for you. You know, I have designated times where I like to map out story ideas or, you know, jot down or brainstorm potential ideas. Um, the writing, I kind of just do whenever, um, whenever I'm feeling creative about it. That's one of the good things about not having too many hard deadlines with the places I'm writing for right now. But, you know, sometimes there is stuff that needs to get up in a timely manner or, you know, by a certain date. And that's usually when I find myself, you know, writing until 1, 2 a.m. in the morning, or I start a piece thinking I'll just get a couple thoughts out or jot a couple lines down at 10, 10 p.m. And, you know, next thing I know, it's past midnight. So there's, there's, I, I wouldn't say I have it fully under control when it comes to coming up with a day-to-day -day schedule. I, I don't think any of us do. I work in the sports <laughs> journalism business. It's a very hourly or even minute-by-minute -minute schedule <laughs> with the adjustments. And You've done some great pieces. Again, as I mentioned, you've been doing some stuff with uh, the New York Times recently getting picked up freelance there. Uh, you've also written for The Athletic. Is there like a story or an interview that really comes to mind for you that you're just like, wow, I can't believe I was able to write this? For me, it was a, it was a piece I did for The Athletic a couple of years ago. Um, it was about this former minor league pitcher, Dennis Baer. And he came up, you know, with the Cubs right around the time Kerry Wood did. And they thought, 
you know, these two guys were going to be the one, two punch in our rotation. You know, they were going to be co-aces for years to come. Wood made it to the majors was very good arm injuries, obviously derailed his career, but bear, he had several surgeries before he even reached the majors. Um, you know, had to call it a career, but what he did was he used all those minor league connections and set up this charity that essentially partners, um, with the Center for Missing Children, you know, the National Center for Missing Children, and they put up these signs across minor league ballparks with um, the profiles of missing kids, you know, what they look like, their pictures, where were they, they were last seen, what they were wearing. And they have these signs all over minor league ballparks just trying to draw attention to these missing children cases. Um, and that was just a really cool story that I got to do a couple of years ago that you know, ultimately got that charity some attention and some sponsorship and it was just you know obviously a very good cause and you know a very interesting story and career that he took wow that's awesome that's a really unique uh, different perspective of how sometimes especially in baseball like those minor leaguers it's very slim that they're able to get their way up into the major leagues and they how they end up taking different careers after baseball even like for even any professional athlete what they're doing post their athletic career it's kind of unique to see how they try to envelop and develop new ideas that they want to bring into their fold of life right yeah it, it was a really just great example of a guy not only pivoting and making something out of a terrible situation you know with all, all the surgeries and injuries that he had but also kind of using the connections he built up along the way through minor league baseball through the different you know teams that he played for in you know these small town small towns and small cities across the country and was just able to do something really good with it. For sure. That sounds absolutely incredible. Gary, I want to kind of switch gears here to so now the current, the present baseball has been going on for now a couple of weeks. You're covering the Yankees for SI.com. I just want to get your overall take of how the baseball season has gone and then give me a more of why are the Yankees off to such a slow start in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, so far, hey, it's good to have baseball back. Um, you know, it's it's been an exciting start to the season. You got, you know, superstars all across the league playing at a really high level. You know, there's been some good competition, some really good games in the early going, particularly on prime time. So can't ever complain when there's baseball on TV. Uh, as for the Yankees, I guess if you're a Yankees fan, you might have a few complaints. The team's the pitching's taken a little bit of a nosedive the last couple games. The offense has yet to break out. A lot of a lot of double plays that they're hitting into. Not quite the power surge you would expect from a team like the Yankees. And then you know a lot of fundamentals stuff they're really struggling with. Defense, running, base running. Um, so other than the bullpen, just about everything that could go wrong has so far. But I wouldn't be too worried about that. So so early in the season. And I know Stanton and some of the other big names, other than Aaron Judge, who is off to a, one of the few hot starts for the Yankees. And then Corey Kluber has not really lived up to the hype so far as the number two starter. What do you think it's the moment for them, especially in Kluber's case, finally being a part of the Yankees? Do you think that moment's kind of being overwhelmed for him? Or what are your, what's your overall take? Yeah, I actually had a piece that just went up uh, that just went up today on Kluber and kind of the rough start that he's had basically saying, you know, it's a little too early to hit the panic button. Look, he might not 
be, you know, he's, he's definitely not Corey Kluber anymore. I don't think you're going to see him winning a Cy Young again or returning to his Cleveland form. But I also think after three starts, you know, it's too early to start saying things like he's washed up or this was a bad signing. He's pitched 36.2 innings over the last two seasons, just one last year. He's always been a slow starter in April. And, you know, not that he's pitched necessarily well, but he also hasn't had very good defense behind him in two out of three of his starts. You know, so when you when you're coming back from injury, when you're on a strict pitch limit, you know, that's going to every extra out you give away or pitch that you have to throw is going to hurt you. So I, I would say give him a little more time before we start rushing to conclusions. And you know, this this past start against the Blue Jays, you actually saw an uptick in velocity from him. That's a really encouraging sign. His cutter moved very well, you know, got a lot of swings and misses on, on that pitch. So let, let's give him a few more games to kind of come back from what was more or less a two-year absence, you know, aside from a few innings here and there. Very true, very true. And why why is the Bronx Bombers offense really diminished so far this year? Do you think it's just the altitude uh, being on the road a little bit early to start? You're not playing at the Yankee Stadium. What's, what's the deal there? You know, it's weird. You know, you think of the Yankees as this home run hitting team, this, you know, one of these – big launch angle and, you know, exit velocity teams, they're hitting the ball into the ground a lot. You're obviously, you're seeing that exasperated by kind of the double plays that they're leading the league in, but it's just a lot of hitting the ball into the ground rather than elevating it and driving it, which just, you know, has kind of gone against everything they've been about the last few years. Yeah. And I have the Yankees as my representative out of the American league. Am I, Am I jumping off the bandwagon way too early? What's the take there? Nah, I, I would still say this is probably the best or, you know, top two teams in, in the American League. I would expect them to be right up there at the top at the end of the year. Okay. And the AL East has actually gotten off to a better start than I actually anticipated with Boss. The Red Sox off to a decent start. Baltimore, I think, is hovering around 500 right now. Toronto's got off to a decent start. Tampa Bay, do you think? The AL East is going to be the most competitive division. I don't know about that. I actually think that's going to be the NL, the NL counterpart, but it's been, it's been a pretty competitive division so far early in the season. You know, you looked at uh, that first opening series with Boston and Baltimore with, you know, the Orioles going into Fenway park and sweeping them. You kind of thought, okay, well, the Red Sox are going to roll over again this year, but they they've stormed right back. And then, you know, Tampa's always going to be good, especially with the pitching. Toronto's got a really young team that made the, you know, push for the playoffs last year. They got a little better over the offseason. They got a little older, more experienced. That's a team that I think is going to be a real nuisance, not just this year, but for a long time. I agree. I think Toronto is a real dark horse out of the American League this year that may, they may just sneak in as a wild card, but I think they may scare a team in that opening round series if they get through that wild card game. I, I tell you what, regardless of how, you know, how good their record is at the end of their year, they're going to score a lot of runs. That, that's going to be a tough team to pitch against all season. For sure. And you kind of mentioned that the NL East was your top division uh, right now, in your opinion. The Mets, they've kind of been hit by the COVID, maybe not by themselves, but everyone that they're playing – Seems like they get stuck on a COVID pause. Their game got, again, postponed today. They're going to try and play a doubleheader tomorrow. Do you think this is – I know it's going to be inevitable. There's going to be pauses. But it feels like the Mets have just gotten the bad luck of a draw to start this year. 
Do you think this could wane on them down the road? I mean, hey, you know, you got COVID, you got blizzards. I mean, the Mets can't catch a break. And for once, it's it's not necessarily their fault. Um, but, you know, at some point, you know, whether it's the middle of the year, the next couple of weeks, end of the year, at some point, they're going to have a lot of games to make up in a short stretch. It's going to cost them off days. It's going to cost them in you know, their, their pitching, particularly their bullpen. So we'll, we'll see how they kind of prepare for that or respond to it in the aftermath depending on, you know, when these, when all these games are getting officially made up, they have tentative dates, but you know, as we've seen, anything can happen. So let's not, you know, act like the schedule is guaranteed or a lock. You know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what kind of moves they make, particularly around the trade deadline, determining whether or not, you know, they need to stock up on bullpen arms or guys who, you know, maybe aren't, you know, solidified relievers, but guys who have major league experience because they're going to need some extra arms at some point. Yeah, and we'll, you'll see a lot more spot starters probably from them from that bullpen. You'll see a, a couple more bullpen games where you get the bull, uh, you get a long reliever to go three or four innings, and your right. bullpen and then, gets waned. Right, and you know, right now it's the Mets, but odds are it's going to happen to somebody else. You know, yeah. we're we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Um, it's it's still an issue. So it's I think pitching in particular is going to be something a lot of teams have to be creative about this year. Yeah, and because COVID has already ramped up MLB a little bit earlier on the year, do you think the goal is still to get all 162 in, or would you think that it's going to be down to winning percentage again, and then hopefully everyone gets around 140, 150 games? I mean, I think 162 is definitely the goal. You know, how realistic that is for every single team, where we can only wait and see. Very true. So – Gary, for you, I want to ask you before we switch gears to football here in the Jets, what for you is your what's your World Series look like? What's your ALCS and your NLCS? Give me a couple of predictions. Oh, wow. I don't usually do predictions. I haven't I haven't thought that far ahead. Um, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll tell you in the NL, it's going to the World Series representative is going to come out of the NL West. OK, Dodgers or Padres. Yep. That's my that's my bold prediction there. And then if I had, if I absolutely had to pick a team from the AO right now, I would probably go with the Yankees. But as we've seen, they're not off to such a hot start. Um, I'm banking on them kind of turning things around and being a little better than they've shown themselves to be so far. But we'll see. Yeah, for me, too, because I have my prediction was Dodgers back to back and they're going to beat the Yankees this year. So. Now I feel all right. Now that I have someone in agreement not a with terrib- me, not a terrible <laughs> prediction. No, I will not- say I would much, I'd much prefer to see the Padres make it than the Dodgers there oh, again. But hundred percent. But I mean, the Dodgers. I don't think uh, there's not a team that hasn't been this stacked in baseball. Right. In a long I, time. Put it. Put it this way. I'd be betting on the Dodgers if I had to. <laughs> I'll put my money on it. Maybe not my house down, but I'll put money on it. <laughs> um. Let's jump to the Jets now. You you work for the Jets Wire as well, writing for them. The Jets now have the number two and the number one, sorry, number 23 pick in the first round. What? Where should the Jets go? What are your overlying assumptions? I know Donald's gone, so we're almost assuming that quarterback will be done with the number two pick. Do you think it's inevitable lock that it's Zach Wilson right now? I mean, that certainly seems to be the case every every report that's been out and even comments from Joe Douglas have indicated that it's going to be Zach Wilson there was you know uh, Steve Young you know 
great NFL quarterback, but also pretty plugged into BYU. Um, he said a few weeks ago that the Jets basically committed to Wilson and Wilson's family. When Douglas, when Joe Douglas was asked about that, he didn't necessarily dispute it. Mm. So, you know, he said, you know, Steve Young's pretty plugged in over there. He knows what he's talking about. So I, I would be shocked at this point if Zach Wilson is not going to be a New York Jet. Would, for you personally, would you take Wilson at two there or would you go a different route? Look, I've never been, you know, a guy who's super plugged into college football and watching all the film and all the tape. I, I'm not an expert on the quarterback class or the prospect class. Now, don't want to come off as one, but I, I think you can't really go wrong with Wilson or Fields at this point. Okay, because personally, I have Fields as my number two quarterback on my board. So I would have, I'd be leaning Justin Fields just because. For me, it's not – I don't. Zach Wilson has all the talent in the world. I And I think you can't go wrong either way. I think the injury, past history in, in college at BYU, he's had a, couple, a shoulder injury as well as a, a leg injury as well in college. It may not have subsided him for many games, but like that shoulder injury that he had a couple of years ago, that took him out four or five games. I think that just really – for me, it gives me some red flags, like how the whole Tua situation was handled at Alabama, why I, had, I preferred Herbert over Tua last year because of, again, the intangibles of health. Right. There's that. There's also, you know, the concern that he didn't really play any great competition while at BYU. For, for me, I think it comes down to more than just who the gr- – best raw talent is you know I, I think the Jets really look at Wilson as a great fit in Mike LaFleur's offense which is going to look a lot like Kyle Shanahan's in San Francisco you know mm-hmm. it's predicated on play action and mobility on you know accurate passes all things that Wilson were able to do pretty well at BYU um, and then you got to go back and look at the last guy, you know, Sam Darnold, everybody said, or, you know, was among the most talented quarterbacks in his class. You know, he was right up there with Baker. That was the projection. Um, He wasn't in a good fit. He was in a terrible offense. He didn't have any supporting cast. He didn't have any competent coaching around him. Um, You know, it's more important than who the Jets take with this pick is the personnel that's going to be around the quarterback. Fortunately for the Jets, they look like they're in a much more much better position now than they were at the start of the Darnold years. So you're you're just looking for fit more than anything else. And I think Wilson, they've pegged as that guy. I agree. I think it's a lot of it's come down to fit. Robert Sala, the head coach, he will instill a team that will rally around his quarterback, especially that's what he did in San Francisco. He was a great motivator and he's a great defensive mind, but he understands the nuances of the quarterback position better than I think people realize which will definitely help Wilson in that situation. Um, But for you, I know Donald was traded to Carolina. Do you think he can resurrect it there? I I guess it determines, I guess it depends on how you define resurrect. Um, Look, as, as I just said, you know, he didn't have a good supporting cast. He didn't have good coaching in New York. They made his life as hard as they possibly could with the Jets. I don't want there to be any confusion about that. With that said, you know, there were plenty of instances where Darnold didn't do himself any favors either. So I I don't see him becoming an all pro quarterback or, you know, even necessarily a reliable one, but I I do think he will be a lot better in Carolina. Obviously that's going up against a very low bar, but he's got 
actual weapons around him. He'll have a better offensive line. He'll have, you know, much better offensive minded coaches, guys, not just offensive minded, but, you know, innovative offensive minds there and Joe Brady and Matt rule. So I, I can't imagine him being worse there. I just don't know how high his ceiling is because it, it was, it was just so hard to evaluate him these last three years. I agree because of just how, no, I'm going to put it bluntly, how bad the Jets organization was set up. And just based off of the personnel that was brought in, I didn't think Adam Gase was ever, didn't even deserve the job in the first place. I, I don't know if you want to give a take on that with the whole Adam Gase hiring. No, was- I mean, you, you, you nailed it. I mean, it was crazy that he got a job after, you know, not only the results, but the way in which he went about them in Miami. And you know, they, they got exactly what they asked for. You know? For sure. And now let's move up. I don't think people realize the Jets have another pick after the second pick in the first no, round. They got it. They got a lot of picks. They got a lot, got of, a picks. lot of picks. And uh, so, what would you do next? What What would be the next move? Would it be offensive line? Go defense? Where, where yeah, do you think you know, they should I, go? Obviously, it depends on who's still on the board. But you know, with that, you know, that twenty three pick, you've seen some talk about like maybe them going after one of the top running backs. That that's a luxury that they can't afford. You know, that's not that's not something that they can do. If I'm Joe Douglas, I'm going best player available between cornerback and offensive line. Now they didn't sign anybody in, as far as cornerbacks go in free agency. Um, they really didn't make any moves on the offensive line other than backups, despite you know being terrible at those two positions this past season i mean those are their biggest needs that's where you need a guy who can be a starter from day one so those are the two positions douglas needs to focus on there you find a running back or you know more pass catcher as a tight end you find those guys later in the draft i agree 100 and i think this is one of the best cornerback classes that this year has offered in a long time you have five cornerbacks that are probably going to be first round draft picks I think three of them might be gone by the Jets get that second pick, but I think two of them should be there either in, and not in this order, maybe Caleb Farley or Greg Newsom from Northwestern, or as well as Asante Samuel Jr. out of Florida state. I think you have a real opportunity to go there. And I think people misunderstand how this running back class has a couple steals that you can get in the second or third round. Like right. either guy from North Carolina is a top running back and they shared the load last year and they both carried for a thousand yards. So, right. And even, and even for getting just the names available, like you got to keep in mind again, going back to the floor's offense, Shanahan's offense at San Francisco that, you know, they essentially use a running back by committee approach. You, you're not using a first round pick, even if it's your second first round pick on a running back, there's just no need to not only in today's NFL, but specifically in the offense, the jets are going to run. It, it would just, it just wouldn't be a wise selection, no matter how talented the player is. For sure. So for the jets, what would you define as a successful season going into this year? What, what is success in your opinion? I know it's a hard it's a very general word. Do you think just beating last year's win total, being competitive? What do you, what are, what are the yeah, signs? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, competitive is obviously the first thing you want to see. You know, that's an old line for Jets fans. I know Jets fans are sick and tired of hearing that. Um, but you got a new head coach. You got a rookie head coach. You got, you're going to have a rookie quarterback. You're going to have an overall very young roster. 
Um, you know, you just look in them for them to be better. And sometimes that might not show up in the wins and loss columns. Um, I, I think ideally it'd be crazy to expect anything better than a seven and nine or eight and eight season. I, I just don't see how that's going to unfold. They've got a tough schedule and you, you've just got so many new pieces, so many inexperienced pieces. You got to, it's an, it's an exciting time. I think if you're a Jets fan, but at the same time, you have to temper those expectations. You know, I, this team's not turning things around and contending for a Super Bowl this year. Yeah, and it doesn't help that the AFC East is probably going to be one of the toughest divisions that are going to try and get three teams out of the division to make the playoffs with New England, Miami, and Buffalo. I don't right. think that helps them that all much either. So, and, and I think, you know, obviously you got to see what happens in the draft, but no matter what, this is still going to be a team that has holes, you know, after, after the draft, you know, and – Maybe those holes will be plugged. Some of them will be plugged, like we said, cornerback, offensive line, but they're going to be plugged by young players. They're going to be plugged by inexperienced guys who are still getting their feet wet and are going to have growing pains, you know, and that includes Zach Wilson or Justin Fields, you know, whoever the quarterback ends up being. Robert Sala is going to have growing pains. Mike LaFleur is going to have growing pains. So let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Yeah. And before we wrap up, Gary, I want to go through a couple of fan questions that were uh, asked. So my first one that I have from a fan is what do you say to an aspiring sports journalist? What is the most important advice that you would give them or just a general idea? Run, run the other way. Um, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Um, this is an awesome job. It's an awesome way to make a living. Um, the one thing I would just say is, you know, if you're in college or if, you know, you're fortunate enough that your high school has a paper, mine didn't, um, you know, Take, take that stuff seriously. Take student media seriously, whether it's your newspaper or, you know, we had Pirate TV, we had WSOU, the radio station. Take that stuff seriously. It's not a hobby. It's not an after school activity. Um, and honestly, it's not even just something you're doing as a student. It, it's, it, it's real world work experience that's going to set you up if you take it seriously. Um, and in the same, in the same kind of thought there you know treat wherever you are whether it's your school or your town whatever it is that you're covering treat it as a community you're reporting on your community you're reporting on you know those around you their stories around you be an expert on whatever is going on on your campus your town your city whatever wherever it is you are um if, if you take advantage of that you're going to really grow as a reporter you're going to really going to be a lot easier for you to do the work and enjoy the work and find it rewarding so that would be my advice i love it i think i completely agree for me it's always embrace the grind embrace it you know it's not going to be that typical as we mentioned that nine to five job you might be up at different hours of the day your hours might be a little bit different could be one minute you're doing something next minute you're doing something else just embrace the grind and take advantage of every opportunity like you just said like WSOU, like for us, or Pirate TV or Setonian, those were reps that we were able to use. Yep. That even though, even, even if, it, if it didn't go perfectly with a story or a, with how we were broadcasted, it turns into a learning experience that, hey, I can turn this into something that I can improve on that I want to put in my resume, my reel, or et cetera. Just something that you can have as some groundwork for a portfolio, too. So. Yeah, when I, you know, when I was covering the Seton Hall basketball team for the Setonian, you know, I always looked at it as I was doing professional work and I was, you know, competing with 
professionals at the New York Post, NJ.com, Asbury Park Press. And, you know, in return, you know, by taking up that attitude and, you know, putting in the work that goes with that, you know, I kind of felt always that I had the same view reciprocated from those guys on that beat. You know, when I was editor in chief of the paper, I looked at the Seton Hall campus as a community and, you know, a group of people to be, you know, to be covered seriously. And that was how we went about our business. So that that's my advice. Absolutely. Next question was, what is for an, if you're doing an interview or a, a recap, or if you're talking to somebody, what is your go-to question that you usually ask nine times out of 10? See, I don't really have a go-to. Like I'm, I'm always one of the guys who doesn't like to get too many unnecessary questions into a post-game interview or, you know, like a press conference setting. I'd rather wait until everybody's kind of, you know, in the pre-COVID days when you had locker room access and you could talk to a guy face-to-face. You know, I was always somebody that would try to get, you know, something out of the ordinary in with a player after the scrum has kind of moved away. You know, I always figured the questions that are, being asked in the, uh, in the press conferences, you know, that's, those are more for the beat reporters, um, you know, which I haven't traditionally been, you know, since I was back at Seton Hall covering the basketball team, I've done a lot more feature work or analytical work, you know, stuff that's a little outside of the box. So questions I always want to ask aren't necessarily ones I want to ask in front of other people and give other ideas away. Yeah. So what's that outside of the box mentality that you try to utilize? Are you just trying to think of something that I've read something about this. Do you, are you trying to ask them that? Or are you trying to think of something creative, create a different angle that someone may not even be thinking about? Yeah, you know, it, inspiration for ideas comes from all over the place. Sometimes it'll be watching a broadcast or, you know, I'll read one line or one sentence in somebody's work on you know, an entirely different topic. And it's like, well, why didn't we expand on that? Or, you know, I could dive deeper into that. So I'm just looking for stuff that's outside the box, um, I love stories that, you know, show how sports and athletes kind of intersect with the rest of the world, whether it's politics, race, society, culture, all that stuff. I love showing how that stuff kind of all merges together and doing stories about that. I like stories that are just quirky and weird, um, you know, that, you know, only my scattered brain would think of. <laughs> so, you know, um, it, it, it comes from everywhere. I've got a long, long list of, you know, ideas that I may never even get to or complete. But just looking for stuff that's original, looking for stuff that other people aren't doing, or even if it is a story or a topic that other people are covering, well, how can I come about this differently? So that, that's all I'm ever trying to do is just take a unique perspective on things. Yeah. And then the last question is, where do you see, what's your overall goal in sports journalism? Where do you want to be down the road, hopefully, for yourself? <laughs> I'd like to, uh, I'd like to be a features editor, a features writer or editor, you know, down the road. How many of those jobs are going to exist as, you know, time keeps passing by? I'm not entirely sure, but, uh, you know, right now that's, that's a lot of the work that I'm doing, you know, in a freelance capacity and, uh, you know, just keep grinding away. Like you said before, it's, you just got to keep grinding. Absolutely. Gary, I want to thank you for your time today. It was an absolute pleasure to catch up with you. I know it's been way too long. Um, and just let everyone know, where can they catch your stuff at and to follow you on your social media platforms? Let them know where you're at. Yeah, so everything I write, whether it's for you know Sports Illustrated Yankees or Jets Wire or stuff I'm doing 
for the times or baseball prospectus, so on and so forth. You can find everything on my Twitter handle at Gary H Phillips. I'm always sharing my stuff there and self-promoting and <laughs> making sure those articles get out. Absolutely. Well, everyone go follow Gary, go check out his work. He's doing some great stuff right now. Again, for the Yankees, the Jets, as well as even had some stuff picked up recently by the New York times. And like, that's just wild to think about that. Uh, I'm, I am even talking to someone that's had some work by the New York times and he's someone that I've actually known quite well for a long time. So Gary, thank you so much. Thanks for joining. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on, man. This was great. Love, love talking about journalism and sports anytime. Absolutely, man. Hopefully we'll do this again soon. Everyone, that was your Friday edition of the Final Whistle Sports Podcast. We got some great content coming out next week as well. Be on the lookout. We got interviews and more.